I'm Betty LaFontaine, and you're listening to Gospel Tangents. The best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have a couple of Native American Heartlanders on the show. Mike and Betty LaFontaine are going to talk a little bit about how they obtained Lehi's ship, the Phoenicia. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the Indian Placement Program and Betty's experiences growing up uh, in that. So it's going to be a fun conversation. You don't want to miss it. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. We're continuing our series on the Heartland model of the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> Got two amazing guests. Um, Mike, can you go ahead and tell us who you are and where you're from? I'm Mike LaFontaine. I am part Chippewa from the Turtle Mountain Clan. My mother is also Swedish, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> Betty and I live in Florida at this time. What part of Florida? Northeast Florida. Okay. In a secluded area, well protected and uh, fortified. Okay, and you are? Yate, I'm Betty Redette LaFontaine. Lashi Inishmit, Ashi Habashis Chin, Kiaani Dashache, Turichini Dashanala, Equit Ao E Dinanishle. I'm Betty Redette LaFontaine. I come from the Dene Nation, the Navajo Nation, and I am Red Clay Bottom Clan, born for the Salt Clan. Towering House peoples are my grandfathers. Uh, Bitterwater people are my grandmothers. And that's how I am Dinah, Navajo. Bitterwater people? Bitterwater people. Why, why are they called Bitterwater people? It's the area that they're from. So the clanship goes for the area that they're from. And then they adopt it from their relatives. So and it was a bunch of Bitterwater? Yeah. <laughs> I'm and, sure and there was. And Towering House and Clay Bottom and Salt. Yeah. So it's the area that they're from. And then they... They acquired those names from their um, grandparents and parents. Now, did you both grow up in Florida, or you just live there now? My my ancestors, my grandparents, moved off the reservation early on, went to the cities to work, so they became urban Indians. Where? In uh, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. Oh, okay. Moved down from the Turtle Mountain Reservation. Okay. And I'm from the Four Corner area in New Mexico. Crown Point, New Mexico. Okay. <clears throat> she was on placement program for eight years at least. About, yeah, seven, eight years. Yeah. In Utah. Uh, I grew up in Florida and my parents decided to move west, so I followed the dinner table and uh, ended up in Spanish Fork where Betty was a placement student. And um, that's where this, we met. This is where I was trapped. <laughs> you were trapped in Utah. Do you, you know, I wasn't going to talk about the Indian Placement Program, but since you mentioned it, was that a good experience for you? It was for me. It was an awesome experience. It was almost like a life-saving experience, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, because we came from a, I came from a poverty-stricken home, and with the different dysfunction in, in, in the people, and you know, in families, and alcoholism, and whatnot, and my mom wanted a better life for us and they couldn't provide for us that were there you know it was like eight to nine of us at one time 11 but uh yeah and she she was uh very strong in the gospel and uh she really wanted a better life for us and she couldn't offer that for us and that's why we went and but i'm thankful truly thankful for it because it was a testimony building experience 
one that I can't ever, you know, forget and put behind my life because it was a great experience for me. So. And so, because I've heard there's, you know, some people have good experiences, some people don't. Um, can you identify with those that don't have a good experience? Um, kind of, because uh, the traditional culture of the Navajo people is very strong, and it's very family-oriented. And when you leave your family, you feel like uh, you kind of almost look like you're deserting your family. But uh, I didn't look at it that way. Uh, the cultural difference, the, the traditions and the way of life was much different than this mainstream society that we live in now. And uh, some of the kids could not a- adapt to it. And I don't know, but I did. I was blessed to adapt right into the family unit. And I just loved it. And I feel like it's, I mean, literally, I feel like it saved my life to where I am today. I have a successful family. It's not perfect, but... I have an eternal family. <laughs> I have an eternal family, and um, it's gospel-centered, and that's always been an important part of my life, and and a very important part to my mom because she came from a very traditional upbringing with the medicine man and and so forth, and she changed her life to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, and she was very strong in her belief. She. She actually, almost like breaking the chain, you're not really away from the people, but your belief system is different. But yet, I can't explain it, it's yet the same because we all pray to the same God, Great Spirit. So even before she was introduced to the church, um, she had that, and we had that. Prayer was a very important part of our lives, everyday lives, three times a day, prayer. And it was a very special part, and we knew who our... Our creator was and we were always um, strong in that belief and we believed that we came from the East direction and and those kinds of things so it was very uh, family oriented our family on the reservation is very family oriented and we're a matriarchal society so so was that tough adapting to because LDS are very patriarchal no no I don't I didn't really look at it at that at it that way um, because I respected the priesthood and I knew knew not necessarily where my place was but I knew there that you know <coughs> God set up this everything it goes right straight to him he he's the priesthood holder he's the hierarchy and we go and we respect him and we um, I don't know how to explain it but it's just it's just a reverence I have for the priesthood and I had no issues with that at all. So did you grow up in the church prior to the Indian placement program? I was actually baptized at age 10 so that I could participate in in it because you have to be baptized first. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You have to be And so did you, did you have a strong testimony or did you do it just so that you could participate? Well, actually, uh, as children and going to school, we were good readers we excelled in our English because English was our second language. My mom didn't have any kind of education as far as reading or anything. And so we would read to her the Book of Mormon. And that's kind of how I got my testimony, too. Um, after we'd read to her, she would vision at night, and she said it was almost like watching a movie and seeing Lehi's family and seeing all the all the stuff that the families go through to be here in this promised land, America. 
So, yeah. So is the Book of Mormon a history of the Navajo people, would you say? The, the Book of Mormon is a history of the Lamanites that live here in North America. Do you, do you, would you consider yourself a Lamanite? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. We do. We can... I consider myself a Lamanite. I knew I was a Lamanite after reading the Book of Mormon. I could identify with the stories, and that's where my mom um, saw us as Lamanites of that of that book. And that Lehi is our father; he's our ancestor, and he's brought our people here to North America. And with this Easter Resurrection thing, which we pray every day as the sun rises to the Easter Resurrection to give um, honor and prayers to our Creator. And that's done in the Easterrection because He came and left in the Easterrection. And He's going to be coming back again in the Easterrection, is what we believe. So, and that's the respect and reverence that we have for Him, is that that story of the East. Very interesting. Um, and forgive me, because I don't know a lot about Native American culture, but I remember when I was growing up, we would always hear that Quetzalcoatl was the great white god that came across the waters. Is that something that uh, you grew up hearing that story? Is that part of Navajo culture? Actually, I had never heard of that. Um, that I didn't hear till later years from South America. Is that America. more of an Aztec thing, do you think? Yeah, South America. Okay. And that's where I heard about it. I, I heard about it when I was young. Definitely. But other sheep I have that are not of this fold. He visited, I believe, all over the world. Tin Lost Tribes, Sea of Enoch, everywhere. The history of Mormons and Native Americans is has a lot of good and bad things. Um, I interviewed Darren Perry. He's of the Shoshone. He used to be the chief of the Shoshone, Northwestern Shoshone tribe. And, of course, there was the Bear River Massacre. Um, where, which was twice as bad as the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Um, and I, I think very few Mormons are aware of either Mountain Meadows or Bear River. Uh, did you have any stories growing up um, as a Native American about the bad white man or anything like that? Never. Oh, really? Never. Other than uh, the long walk. Well, the long walk with the Navajo people where the government was um, wanted them they were herding them up and putting them in at Bosco de Redondo, which is in uh, New Mexico, in a prison camp. Oh, my. Yeah, and a lot of them were starving. Um, they wanted them off, the re off their lands. They wanted to take their land. And yeah, there's, there's pretty much history all around about in the United States and in pretty much the world, you know, yeah. you look at I mean, it that way. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's those far. stories. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and I, my heart is hurt by it, but it's not burdened by it. I mean, look at the Book of Mormon, what happened there, you know. So it, it's, it's a way of reflecting and becoming out, coming out stronger and uh, forgiving, and, and that's a big, huge part of it. You know, our Savior uh, died for us so that we could do that. Yeah. And it's not simple, but there's no growth in holding those burdens. Live, live for the future. Yeah. Don't forget the past, but what can you do about the past? Absolutely nothing. You can't, you can't change it. You can't alter it. 
All you can do is sit there and waller in it. So live for the future. That's what you can change. That's where, that's where the magic happens. And, and my um, focus is helping those that can't help themselves, blessing the lives of others, both of us. We serve wherever we can in any capacity. And that's what our Savior wants us to do. And you can't lose by doing that. And that's where my testimony is, is, is to forget, not forget, but to just lay those things aside and, and, and go on, forgive and move on. Because there's more good that you can do by forgiving. Do you go back to the reservation very much and see your family? Yes, I do. Um, Have things gotten better since you were a young child? You know, we were driving through there not too long ago. When was it? When we drove a week and a half a ago. A week and a half ago. Oh, okay. And it's been, what, 50 years since I've been, like, living there. And <clears throat> there's really not that much change, and it's really sad. I mean, there's a few grocery stores and, and a gas station here and there. but Better hospitals. Better hospitals and better schools. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, the housing that the government provides and the people, it's just... To me, it's really sad. I, I, it, it breaks my heart to see that happening. But um, they're happy, you know. That's the way they want to live, and I respect that. And I love them. And it's just, it's a day-to-day struggle for a lot of them because you can't. Living on the reservation, you're not able to be an entrepreneur. You can't have own a store, a grocery store, a, a business. Why not? Because the the, gov- the Indian government and the government. It's land and trust from the government that the Indians live on. It's not their land. And so they have to go through all these channels to be able to have a business. And some of those channels are political. So it's, it's sad. And, and so you I'm, have to get a lot of special permissions in order to own a business, basically. Right, right. There's a lot of red tape. You got to know that the tribal president's son or his his daughter or his best friend or that sort of thing. You know, it's mainstream society is pretty much the same in the political world, you know. They've so. acquired the white man's way quite easily. Wow. So it's, it's sad, and, but um, I believe Mike and I right now are in a position where we can help the people. We're getting there. And that's always been my lifelong dream to be able to give back and the Lord's going to, we left it up to the Lord, and I think we're getting closer, especially with this Phoenicia. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go there in just a second. Yeah. So, Mike, you said your mom is Swedish, is that right? Yes. So you, you didn't grow up on a reservation, or did no, you? No, considered an urban Indian. Okay. That's what we are now. We're off the reservation. We're urban Indians. Was there a big cultural difference as you guys were dating or anything, or, or did you feel right at home? When you're in love, there's no cultural differences. <laughs> Even if there's a language problem, that's still not a problem, right? Okay. And so you grew up in Minnesota? Is that what No, you we grew up say? in Florida. Oh, in Florida. My dad moved down to Florida and then... When he was born. You yeah, and then later oh, so in life. You, well, you were born in Minnesota and then moved to Florida. Okay. Yeah, and then out to Utah. And then how did you get out to Utah to meet <clears throat> My dad's merchant marine, so he can go live anywhere. So there's he, merchant marine. There's no, there's no oceans in Utah. No, but every time he goes, they fly him to a different port in the world. So it's not, you know, he didn't have to be by a port. So <clears throat> he was hitchhiking across the country back home. 
in the late 70s, early 70s, and said, hey, let's move out west. It looks great. And he went through here at nighttime. So we packed up and moved out here. Oh, and so how long did you live in Utah? Quite a while. I got here between Colorado, Colorado and Utah. I, I got here when I was 16 and um, stayed here, met Betty, got married, and we moved. We lived there five years after we got married and we moved. So, yeah. And it was hard for me. It was a huge adjustment. Living here in Utah? No, living in Florida. In Florida? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah that was a pretty big adjustment. Yeah, yeah. Because one, you get the humidity. Oh, gosh, yeah. The gators. Well, I'm still getting used to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're never used to the humidity. 32, <clears throat> 33 years now. Later, it's, it's still for hard. The, for the first 10 years, it wasn't home. Yeah. But now when she talks about home, I'm going to go home. Florida's yeah, home. Yeah, Florida is home. And then, because you guys just, did the hurricane hit you recently or no? No, very little wind, very little rain. We didn't even oh, get really? a raindrop. Yeah. Oh, where, where are you in Florida? Northeast, Florida, north central Florida. North central, is that by Tampa? It's between Jacksonville and Tallahassee. Up on oh, right, oh kind of by the pan, panhandle. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys didn't get uh, too much rain and wind. So yeah. we are too. <laughs> so we're parents of five children, and then we, <clears throat> my older brother died and his wife died, so we kind of adopted in their kids. So we got a big group. We got twenty six. I lost seven, count. Seven grandkids. Twenty six. I think. Wow. And they're the joy of our life. Yes, definitely. We have them from. We have. Aren't you supposed to have more gray hair when you're a grandparent? You guys have no gray hair at all. Well, the gray thing, yeah, we got gray hair right here. <laughs> and, you know, the white man colored, uh, color dye is hair dye. It works pretty good. Great. <laughs> For him, no. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. All right. Well, so so you've lived in Florida for 30 years, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, you're somehow associated with the Phoenicia, so tell us that story. Well, we, we've been following John since, since the first uh, event up John in Ohio. John Lefkin. Yeah, up in Ohio with the, with the Heartland Research Group, and <clears throat> Ryan Nelson from the Firm Foundation was instrumental with John forming the Heartland Research Group and getting donations, and Ryan just calls one day, hey, you want to come up to this uh, megatometer reading in Ohio? I said, that sounds good. He said, well, you can contribute some money, you can come up. So we went up to it, and it was fascinating. John was very uh, cordial, very happy to see us. He goes, I'm glad you're here. I don't know why you're here. He says, but I'm glad you're here. So it was, it was pretty neat. So well, we, By the end of that event, he knew why we were there. Because every we provide what we, like the... Um, what is that? Chuck wagon. So we brought all the supplies to take care of the group, um, oh. shelter them, feed them, and that sort of thing. And we felt like that was part of our contribution to the whole, to the whole gathering. And it's been like that since. So. Yeah, we make sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've, sandwich. I've had some of your food, and it's wonderful food. So <laughs> I, I, I can witness to that. We, we just love being with the group. So we've just been every, every time going with the group, you know, on our own, pretty much on our own dime. Because we believe, you know, finding out uh, ancient things about our ancestors, which, was, which is amazing. Seeing the, uh, the Hebrew influence in ancient American Indians. It's 
you talk to these people who are not even members, archaeologists and 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 cultural people. You know, do you see a Hebrew influence here? Yes, it is everywhere here in the in the buildings, the old mounds, the earthworks, their culture. It's still here. Well, how did it get here? Like, I don't know how it got here. I don't know why it's here. You know, there's so many people that don't have a clue of all this archaeological history that's along the Mississippi, some into from south from Florida, all up and down to the river, the Great River, Ohio, Ohio, uh, and some of it dating back to the um, Jaredite time, 600 BC. I mean, it's just unbelievable. We just we just visited Shell Mound in um, Cedar Key, Cedar Key, Florida. Dated, you know, okay. five sixty. Is this a Hopewell mound? No, this is uh, this is this would be. Um, yeah, it would be Hopewell. Yep. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> it would be early, and then there's uh, Apalachicola. We went there to a mound called uh, Pierce Mounds, six hundred BC, privately owned. You could walk around, pick up pottery off the ground. Could be Nephi's porridge bowl. <laughs> <clears throat> Dent mounds at the mouth of the St. John's River. Huge river that flows north through Florida, <clears throat> 600 B.C. 600 B.C. all over the southeast. That magic number. And Crystal River. People. Yeah. Shell Temple, 50, Shell Mount, 40 yeah. feet in the air. Well, let me ask you this, because I know with uh, especially the Mesoamerican proponents, but I w- I'm curious if this applies to Heartland as well. Um, a lot of times, especially because of the DNA evidence, a lot of the Mezzo people are saying, well, Lehi's group was was only about 30 people. Their DNA died out. I shouldn't say died out. was kind of, it's, it's too small to measure. Um, and so would you be of the same understanding with regards to that? Rod Meldrum did a, a big DNA study. And he's still working on that, but he came across he came across haplogroup X in the DNA, yeah. which was the Algonquin people in the Northeast that tied right into that area. Also, that is my people, the Algonquin people. So, um, so Ugo Perego, he's a good church member, but he said like the Kennewick man. I know there was a presentation where somebody made a face of the Kennewick man and said it was the first Nephite, but that would have been according to carbon dating, 9,000 B.C. So the X2A was here long before Lehi was. At least, you know, that's kind of the claim. Um, so it wouldn't have been Lehi that brought that. That was already here. Well, there's, they're still studying that stuff. DNA, as far as DNA and how they're, how they're aging it, <clears throat> you need to get into that and studying that because they stretch it out for twenty or 30,000 years. And if you do it scientifically, it can't go that far. It's a third of that or a quarter of that. I don't know. It's above my pay grade, but it's been explained to me on, on how they came across it and how they do it. <clears throat> it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. They need more study on that. But okay. So, anyway, so you. Let's jump back to the Phoenicia for a second. You were in Florida when the when Philip came into Florida. Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> tell tell us how did you meet Philip and were, you weren't a, you weren't a crew member, were you? No, we're not, we're not a crew member. I've been on the boat from Fort Lauderdale 
or from Miami up to Fort Lauderdale, we, I sailed on it. And, oh, you did? Yeah, that was freaking awesome on my birthday. Oh, wow. Um, but um, when, when Philip came to town, we knew it. We've been tracking them, you know, for years, you know. And people here in this country, people part of the Heartland Movement, would love to have the boat, you know. So we went down there to meet them in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Got a picture here. This is Phil's book. I don't know if you've ever seen this yet. I've got an autographed copy. You got an autographed copy. That's awesome. And um, Betty and I met Philip here. Okay, here, let me zoom in here a little bit. Oh, yeah, and Philip has a nice beard there. That's has interesting. Beard. He's, he's darker than we are. He's been on the He's been in the seas. sun a little bit. And, uh, and I, I make these cedar drums, and Betty painted it up. And uh, she painted the the uh, the pulsar star on it, not knowing anything about how the Phoenicians founded that star, uh -huh. and um, and made it part of their culture. <clears throat> so we met them and um, gave him the gift. Betty gave a talk there. Philip found it very intriguing. Whenever Betty says that. Uh, her people came across the Big Salt because he had been here earlier doing a raft trip down the uh, um, Colorado River with some Navajos. And uh, very, very pleased to hear these things. And, and that's in the back of the book on his thoughts and on that. It was very interesting. Yeah. I guess you can't really shave very well on the... I guess you could, but why, why do that? He's a sailor. He was on there for a year. It's actually a pretty good beard for being on there for a year. Well, it was... It was he, he sailed from the Canary Islands over over to Santa Domingo. It took like 38 days. Yeah. He told was me. Was that the first trip or the second? The second trip to America. Oh, okay. So, so that, that was, was a shorter trip. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he just came short of America the first time. Yeah. Right. But he says if you stand at the Canary Islands and throw a stick in the water, that's it's coming in America. <laughs> so you know it's a no-brainer. And ancient ships like this that came out of the Mediterranean, like they did, and they came down. To the Canary Islands, and then caught the the trade winds and the current over, you know, just like the hurricanes, right in the, the right into the Gulf of New Mexico. <laughs> so it was pretty neat. So that's where we met him, and we kept up with him. Is that why the hurricanes all come to Florida? Is because the that yeah, trade winds and the current. Wow. Oh yeah. We wanted that's the to only be the... thing we don't like about Florida is the hurricanes, right? <laughs> yeah. And the and the humidity. We wanted to be the friendly Indians to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> and give him a gift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, interesting. So you actually rode from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, most of the crew got off in, in Miami and went back home, so he needed some uh, some, some help getting it up. I, I called him. I said, I'd, be, I'd love to come back down. I got a friend, Steve Ross. We'd come down there. We'd sell up there. It, it was an awesome experience. How long did that take? It took us all day, about 12, 10 hours. Oh, just one day? Yeah, it was one day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Came out right out of the Miami uh, port, right out of the jetties, and straight up to Fort Lauderdale. Wow. Well, that's cool. So, uh, so you were the one that got involved in actually purchasing the Phoenicia and having it shipped to Iowa, right? <clears throat> yeah. One day, John Lefkin calls me up, you know. He says, hey, Mike, i seen you on this boat with some guy. He says, what, what can you tell me about this? I go, that's Philip Bill. That's a Phoenicia. He goes, well, what, you know, what's going on with that? And, and previously, I've been making trips down there to, to secure it and make sure it was uh, well secured 
during storms or the summertime. And uh, I says, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. So I, I called Philip, but come to find out, there was a hurricane that passed through there. It didn't hit them directly because I went down, I went down and tied it up good. Didn't, didn't put tarps on. Probably should have put tarps on it. But one thing we didn't plan for was electricity going out. Right. So when electricity goes out, so what? There's a boat. Well, the boat has a sump pump, and the sump pump wasn't working. So between the sump pump not working and the torrential rains, uh, she sunk to the bottom of the canal, which is only about eight feet. But it was enough to destroy the diesel engine that was in there, because after the electricity came out, she she came back up out of the water. You could not tell that she sunk. Oh, okay. You know? But when they went down to start the engines, it was a hydrostatic lock on that diesel engine and just popped the starter right off, filled the engine with, because the engine was with water. So. And you just used the diesel engine to get in and out of port. In and out of port is very, very important. So at that point in time, he Because it doesn't steer very well. Yeah. And you needed the engine to steer it into... Yeah, the, it's, it's got a brass propeller and it's got a rudder underneath there. Didn't You know, so it, it does quite well. Slow, you know, very slow, but steady steering the ship <clears throat> but that was never used during the no. trip it was just getting in and out of port yeah getting out of port <clears throat> so at that time you know john said well what's going on with this so i called philip and asked him what's going on with it. he says well i have it in a in a yacht yacht club yard and we're cutting it up and i'm shipping it back to united kingdom because prior to that there was a number of um museums and other people who were wanting to purchase it you know because now let me make sure when he landed in Miami, it was like February, right before COVID hit, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so. And then we took it up to Fort Lauderdale, and it was you were hearing more and more about it, you know. <clears throat> and then, and then it just broke out, and it sat there for two years. COVID did, yeah. Yeah. COVID. And originally we wanted to purchase it but we could not contend with these other museums and these other collectors i mean it was the price was out of our range right but covid was a blessing for us <laughs> so i call, i called him i says is it for sale and he says yeah it's for sale i says that's awesome and um, he named the price which i thought was awesome too so he, he already had one container in england and uh, what, uh, half of it was still here, and, and John, he's ready to jump on a plane to go to England and talk to Philip. I said, well, I think we can do this by Zoom. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Save so, a few bucks. <laughs> there, there were a few people in the, in yeah, the group. You don't get to go to England. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, that's worth something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a few people in the group that were Not opposed. Not happy about yeah, it. Opposed to it. But, in the Harlan Research Group. Yeah. But um, Betty came and saved the day. She. Yeah, that's what they say. She she came in and threw down some. some numbers. Some numbers <laughs> and saying we'll, we will personally help ourselves. But it was pretty much John and the Harlan Research Group are the owners of it. It's a nonprofit organization, and we are so happy to have it. The other container got shipped to Iowa. It's in a, or. Not Iowa. We yeah, have I, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, Montrose, Iowa. So, so these are those big shipping containers. Do, can, do those just fit on a like a diesel truck and yep. basically you drove it across land? 
<laughs> we had it, we had it shipped from from Fort Lauderdale to to Iowa, and then we fortunately found a sixty uh, five foot by sixty five foot building, twenty foot ceilings to put it in. There was a number of miracles that happened just within. 30 days of purchasing that ship for us to acquire it and get it there. And, and even now, putting it together at the, uh, at the I call it the Phoenician Workshop. It's Phoenicia. If you Google Earth, Google Earth it, it's the Phoenicia Ship Museum. In Montrose, Iowa, across yeah. from the, across the Mississippi from Nauvoo. You, if you walk out of our building, you look to the left, you can see the Nauvoo Temple oh, wow. right there across the river. It's amazing. So that's where we've been all summer. We spent three months up there. Betty attending, Betty and her volunteers attending. the. Uh, we have a circus tent on the inside. It's a 20 by 30 uh, party tent where we have like a museum and bookstore in there. Gift shop, I think. Gift shop. Gift and shop, then, a seating area where they can watch the videos of the Phoenicia's expeditions. It's air conditioned. Air conditioned. It's really nice. It's not real good air conditioning in a tent, but it definitely cuts it down it's better than florida right oh yeah and better than the workshop because the workshop is hot oh really so we've been putting it together in the workshop it's we've got 12 pieces put together it's going together real well much better than i ever dreamed you know we pull out these tenants you know they're um mediterranean walnut with uh olive dowels holding the planks together so we pull them out and put new ones in and it's it's just all going back together within the same holes. It's it's amazing to me. And Mike Stallman's the guy who's doing the good work on that, right? Mike Stallman, yeah, he's he's one of my lead guys that's helping out. He's only able he's your Nephi. Yeah, he's there once one week a month. He's able to come up because he's building his house. But this last summer, we had over three thousand hours of volunteers coming in. It's so strange. They just truck drivers driving by, seeing it, stopping it. Oh, I want to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, members, non-members. It's the whole gamut. They don't care. They don't care. What do non-members think about this? They love it. They're fascinated. They love it. And they tell others about it. And we have had people from Chicago come down, and we've had teachers, and you know, they want to learn about it. They want yeah. to know more about it. So. They want to touch it. Yeah. That's one big thing, too. They want to touch it. Yeah. So. Well, cool. So uh, so, so you were the guy that was instrumental in getting it from, uh, from Fort Lauderdale to... Now, only half of it is in Iowa, is that right? You're right, and the other half is still in the U.K., which we should get in the springtime. Okay, so you're just going to have to wait for... Uh, Shipped across the ocean. Yeah, we're waiting for shipping prices to come down a little bit since COVID. You know, you remember the ships backed up in the ports and can't unload anything, so we're not going to get messed up in that. We're not in a hurry. We got half the ship now putting it together. But yeah, Betty and I were, <clears throat> and Brian Bunker and Terry Lynn went down originally, and we walked around, and inspected, took pictures and videos, and talked with in the guy. England? <clears throat> no, in Fort Lauderdale, no, Fort Lauderdale. Where it was taken apart, and. Uh, <clears throat> I'm glad we went because they were they were cutting stuff up and throwing it away. The mast. Cut it up, throw it away. I said, are you kidding me? Yeah. The the sail, the yard, the upper deck, 
They were getting ready to throw the engine away, the, the lower deck. I said, time out, dude. Do not throw away anything that comes off of this ship, except for the ballast. The ballast was uh, sheets, sheet metal, steel, 20 tons of steel laying in her belly. I'd throw that away, but everything else is shoving in that container. Why, why not? Why wouldn't you keep the sheet metal? It was all rusted. That they, could, they didn't even want to recycle it because it had so much rust on it. So, <clears throat> so you're going to have to rebuild that, or, or you don't need it because it's not floating? It's not floating, and in the museum, I mean, anciently, they used stones, you know. Instead of sheet for, metal? For, ba- for ballast, yeah. So we're going to build it back and show that, show the way that they did it. Anciently? Yeah, we're going to, you know, put goods in there, all kinds of trades. You'll be able to walk on onto the ship. You'll be able to go down into the belly, walk through it, and it'll be set up like a 6th century Phoenician ship, how it would have traded within the Mediterranean. So do you have a background in shipbuilding or anything, or is this just kind of a thing you picked up along the way? What's your vocation, I guess I should say? I'm in remodeling. I'm in the remodeling business. Oh, so you're remodeling, so you're just remodeling a ship. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) Well, sometimes um, he'll wake up in the morning, and he just said, I just got a download. I was like, a download? He goes, yeah, I just got a download. It's amazing. I know what to do. So we're, he's doing this through faith and prayers, you know, and it's the downloads are coming, which is amazing. Like, would we say revelation? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, revelation. You call Nef- them Nef- Nef- got a download on how <laughs> to build a ship. That's what he calls it. <clears throat> you know, so I got a download on how to reconstruct and put it together. <clears throat> and, and, and the same with everybody else. They'll come and start oh, working yeah. on it. Can we do this? Should we do this? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just amazing you know, you get five and six people that are putting this together, and it just, it takes us about 40 to 50 hours to prep a piece to put, to get it ready to put in, and now they're taking around 40 minutes to install, 50 minutes to install a whole piece. Oh, okay. So they're getting, five feet they're by six better. feet. They know what they're doing now. Yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's really, really cool. Well, we've got a model of the ship here. Do you guys want to show that? So this is what a uh, miniature, what it looked like. Now, there was a horse's head on the front. I don't know. Let me see if I can see that on here. Oh, I'm out of focus for some reason. Um, I noticed at the, at the uh, conference that horse head was, um, had been, was off the ship. Yeah, we brought it with us. Um, was that something that they were going to throw away originally then? I don't think, I would hope not. She was laying on the ground. I mean, how much got thrown away before you got there? The the, the upper deck, the mast, the yard, the sail. And so you guys are going to have to rebuild the, well, we the were, decks and the sail anyway? Well, we were going to plan on rebuilding it. The decks were supposed to be Lebanon, cedars from Lebanon. That's what the deck was supposed to be. But they're having conflict in the area, so they really couldn't get that. So we're planning on cutting cedars and harvesting cedars down in... Uh, in that area and putting them on the upper and lower deck. So Cedars of Iowa? No. no. <laughs> Cedars of Zarahemla. Cedars of Zarahemla. Oh. Okay. But there but that's in Iowa, right? That's right. in Iowa. <laughs> right where we're at. Yeah. The Lord named the area. I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> DNC one twenty five three. Oh wow. Yeah. Very good there. 
Very good. <laughs> but, it, <clears throat> you know, if people want to work on it, it's Phoenicia.rocks. We, we will have, we, last year we had it, we haven't had it this year, but we'll have a schedule on there. You can schedule in a day to come and work, a half a day, a quarter day, a full day. You know, some people come and work for two weeks, you know. They come from Arizona, they come from Portland, California, uh, New Mexico, Pennsylvania. And we're trying to work out a, uh, a place for them to stay overnight. We're at a min very minimal cost. And we try to help. Yeah, accommodate. we try to accommodate them and even with food a she, little bit during she, the day while they're at work. She does a camp feed every day. Yeah. And a little bit better than that, but a camp feed. We really appreciate all those who are involved in this humongous project. Um, at first we thought, what are we doing? You know, here we are, two little Indians, getting involved <laughs> in something that is bigger than we anticipated. But, you know, when we got there, we started working on it, and people started, the flow of people that were coming in, we were, they were just taken back by such a great um, cause and they believe in it and they just they, they go away I'm sure they go away thinking what the heck 600 BC I think that means something to me you know so it's, it's been awesome I, I, I appreciate the all those who have come through there especially the Volunteers, we've got awesome volunteers that just really put their heart into and soul into it, and yeah. we just really appreciate all the hard work that they have. And they follow us to this conference. They helped us yeah. this last <clears throat> conference, you know. And so that's a lot of differences by those who have a love and passion for the story. <clears throat> Philip, Bill, making this trip with Yuri and Vera and all those crew members that that, that believed in this project. And not really knowing uh, what we would acquire, the meaning behind the 600 BC, the Book of Mormon, and all that. Philip had no idea. He had no idea what he was doing, only that he wanted to do it. And then when we, we got a hold of it, he's just been, he's just a great, kind, gentle man. Um, he is, he's, he, I don't think he gets what he's really done. You know, and I and we keep reminding him of that. And John praises him all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. The Field of Dreams is probably three hours north of us. Oh, really? Yeah, we've been up to there. So if you're a cool. baseball fan. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, come by there. Yeah. It's kind of like if you build it, they're coming. But we haven't built it yet, but they're still coming. So, if they build it, they'll come, and that's what they are doing. Yeah. So it's pretty neat. It, I mean. In three months to see what we've done, three thousand man hours of, of volunteers, and I mean, how how do you how do you do that the first year? So when were you kind of negotiating this? Um, what 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 was the approximate time frame? Was that just this year? Yeah, um, the sixteenth of this month was ten months ago. Okay, so ten. So, okay, this month. So so January basically. Yeah. So January, you were negotiating it, and then you got it out here. That, that is pretty quick. I was in uh, Independence for uh, John Whitmer in September, and uh, we went to the LDS Visitor Center, and they were like, hey, we got these little 
almost the size of postcard Phoenicia. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> There's our great volunteers getting the information out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what we rely on, people like you. Get the information out there to people. Come by, bring your family, do a family reunion. If you're in Nauvoo, bring your family over. We'll, we'll uh, block out a time for you and your family. And Well, and I'll put in a relatively inexpensive place to stay is the uh, Community of Christ has a campground in Nauvoo. Now that you guys are going to have a... When's the ferry going to come in? Do you have any idea? Uh, in the spring sometime. In the springtime. Yeah, we're going to work on getting a ferry back and forth. Between Nauvoo and Montrose. And Montrose, yeah. And as well as having, there's nothing better than coming to Nauvoo and then getting on the river. I mean, it's the river side on, for heaven's sakes. You go up and down the river, you go and you see the temple from the river. It's really neat. You get to see the wildlife, lots of bald, bald eagles. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. It's just a different world out there on the river. I'm a river guy, so. Well, and plus Mark Twain, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to see. There's he, a lot to see in down, that area. He's down river a little bit, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I always think of Huck Finn, so. <laughs> but if, when you go to uh, rocks, you'll be able to go to that page, sign up. There will be a place to sign up where you can actually, you know, volunteer. And there's more information on where to stay if you need a place to stay. Uh, also, this summer we plan on holding the first powwow, Indian powwow, oh. at the Heartland Research Group warehouse. So we're in the works with that. Um, we're going to also have different shows coming there, like arts, arts and crafts shows, um, community show and tell, community show and tell archaeology that they found and they'd like to share so people could see. Um, just because there's a lot of artifacts in that area. Yeah, we, we come to, it's amazing the amount of people that come by with boxes of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopewell. Some Adina, but mostly Hopewell. Arrowheads, stuff farmers that are in fine. The field. Yeah, farmers. Yeah. That's really neat. Well, very good. I'm trying to remember what else is there that we need to talk about. One interesting thing that happened when we brought the container up to Iowa. Betty didn't come because she was in warm Florida and we were in freezing Iowa. <laughs> and and we unloaded the container into the building and, and Betty goes, have you seen the eagle yet? I says, what eagle? What are, what are you talking about? And uh, not long after that, I guess you guys were at the building. It was kind of cloudy that day. Finishing up. And you were finishing up and it was cold. And John was he sitting outside? Well, we walked out the front door of the building, okay. and the building's probably about 35, 40 feet high. This is the Phoenician Museum. Yeah. A bald eagle flew over to the point, flattered its wings right there, and then flew off south. John said he circled. And so when I was at home, I, I have a connection with the eagles and, and the birds and nature. It's just at a, my, part of my upbringing. Of who I am, and uh, I saw the eagle, and I saw in my mind's eye the eagle, and I said, "Mike, the eagle's coming," and he's like, "Okay," and that's when John said that eagle came and hovered over the Heartland Research Group building and circled the building, and I told Mike, I says, "He's given his blessing, his blessing on this project, this Phoenicia." <clears throat> So we look to the eagle as a 
sacred burden. Is this a bald eagle or a golden bald eagle? eagle? Bald eagle. As a messenger, a protector, as natives. So that was that was quite that was a, a good sign. Yes, that was, and it, it was a blessing to see that for them. And John said, I've never seen a bird do that. <laughs> I've never seen a bald eagle since I've been here. Yeah. So, so it yeah. was neat. And they migrate there. They stay there, don't they? During They yeah. winter there in the, in the winter, and they nest there during the winter. Yeah, they look for parts of the river that are broken so they can still fish. It's, you find a part of the river that's, you know, the ice is not forming yet, you'll see 25, 30 bald eagles around. It's really awesome. It's a beautiful sight. Yeah. Montrose is known for that. One one thing they're known for is those eagles that come. And is that kind of a Native American thing with the bald eagles? Is that mm-hmm. okay. very sacred bird, messenger to great spirit. Most of the regalia that natives wear is from the bald eagle. Bald eagle and hawk. Okay. Well, very good. Well, anything else we should know? <laughs> I can't think of anything. Very good. Thank you for having us. It's been awesome. Yes, thank you. Well, Mike and Betty uh, LaFontaine, thank you so much for being here on Gospel Tangents. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Mike and Betty LaFontaine. Thank you so much for participating here on Gospel Tangents and sharing the story. And uh, for those of you who want to go help out with the Phoenicia Museum, um, go to phoenicia.rocks and uh, maybe Mike and Betty will be there. So (laughs) thanks again. In our next conversation, we're going to talk to our modern-day Nephi. Uh, His name is Mike Stallman. He's kind of the Scotty of the the Phoenicia ship. A a big crane appeared out of nowhere, literally, and we got it unloaded and uh, got the container sitting right in front of that building, which then uh, subsequently we unloaded and put it in the building. And it was just a, a, a giant like a box of Legos dumped out on the ground. If you like what we're doing here on Gospel Tangents, please become a paid subscriber at gospeltangents.com or patreon.com slash gospeltangents. We've got full transcripts on our website at gospeltangents.com. And if you'd like to check out some of our other conversations, click over here. Thanks.